15. Last Sunday, while we were on vacation, we had, we had a great time, by the way. We, last weekend, we were able to get together with all three of our kids and my son's wife also in one place at one time. That's the first time that's happened in a year and a half. So uh, we had a great time of fellowship together and went to our previous church in Tuckwilla, the South Center Community Baptist Church, and had a wonderful sermon from their new preacher. Just bless my soul. Here's what I learned. Right here. It's the realistic miracle diet. For breakfast, you have a half a grapefruit, one slice of whole wheat toast, eight ounces of low-fat or skim milk. For lunch, you have four ounces of lean broiled chicken breast, one cup of steamed spinach, one cup of herbal tea, one Oreo cookie. For the mid-afternoon snack, you have the rest of the Oreo cookies in the package, two pints of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, one jar of fudge sauce, nuts, cherries, and whipped cream. Can I get a witness? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> For dinner, two lards, two loaves of garlic bread with cheese, of garlic bread with cheese, large sausage and cheese pizza, four cans or one large pitcher of diet soda, three Milky Way candy bars. For your late evening news snack, an entire Sara Lee cheesecake eaten directly from the freezer. Now, you're probably thinking, now how does this diet work? This is the wonderful thing that I learned. Rules for the diet. If you eat something and no one sees you eat it, it has no calories. If you drink diet soda with candy bars, the calories in the candy bar are canceled out by the diet soda. <laughs> yeah. When you eat with someone else, calories don't count as long as you don't eat more than they do. Food used for medicinal purposes never counts, such as hot chocolate, toast, and Sara Lee cheesecake. If you fatten up the people around you, then you look thinner. <laughs> we have cake right over there. I'm not having any. <laughs> Movie or event related foods do not have additional calories because they are part of the entire entertainment package and are not part of one's personal intake. Examples are milk duds, buttered popcorn, junior mints, etc. Cookie pieces contain no calories. The process of breaking cookies causes caloric leakage. <laughs> Things licked off knives and spoons have no calories if you are in the process of preparing something. Examples are peanut butter on a knife while making a sandwich or ice cream on a spoon while making a sundae. Foods that have the same color have the same number of calories. For instance, spinach, spinach and pistachio ice cream, or cauliflower and whipped cream. And then the final note is this, chocolate is a universal substitute and may be used in place of any other food. That is the realistic miracle diet. We all know that a balanced diet is uh, probably more important than we make it on a regular basis. What we're going to find out here in Hebrews 13 today is that your spiritual diet is critically important. What you take in to nourish your soul is very important, and you can't just take things in willy-nilly or with some strange rules that aren't from God's Word. Hebrews 13, 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. 
Now, it might sound strange to you to see God talking about grace and then comparing it to food. You'll understand as we go through. The first principle that is here is this. Your life is based on some kind of doctrine. So we need to ask the question, first of all, what is doctrine? This word refers to content or a topic in teaching, if you will. It could be translated teaching. It's also the same root word that we get our word disciple from or learner. It could be referring to the learner or the teacher. But sometimes when we use the word teaching, the concept that comes to our mind is the process. Here's a man standing here speaking words. There is teaching going on. That's not what this word is about. This word is about the content of the teaching. Many people in the contemporary church world shy away from doctrine. They say things like, leave the doctrine alone, just teach the Bible. Uh, they may not be aware of it, but that is an impossibility. One of the things we need to understand is that God himself uses the word. And in fact, Jesus puts it this way in John 7, 16, my doctrine or my teaching is not mine, but from him who sent me. In 2 John verse 9, we read these challenging words. Whoever does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Well, all of a sudden, doctrine becomes very important. There are some folks who rightly assess the fact that doctrine is what divides Christians. That's right. Because from God's word, there can only be one truth, not multiple truths that conflict with each other. There is a doctrine of Christ. There is a doctrine of God, and so on and so forth. The Bible is full of doctrinal truth. Now, God also saw fit in the Bible to teach us with other forms of communication. For instance, one of the other chief forms that he uses is what we'd call narrative or stories. We go to the Old Testament, we see David, you know, coming to face Goliath, and we read this whole story, and there's a couple of little punchlines in there. One of them is when David looks at the situation and says, is there not a cause and we look at the story and we grasp the meaning of it and, and we are taught by that. And that's wonderful. But the New Testament is primarily given to us in propositional truth or doctrine. Now let's illustrate just a minute with the doctrine of Christ. And I'm, we're going to have a little interaction here. So don't, don't be bashful because I'm not going to wait for long. Tell me one thing, just one thing at a time, that you know about the person of Jesus Christ. One thing. Just, he is God. What else? He's sinless. He's the creator. Unchanging. Dual nature. The savior. And on and on and on. Now here's a question for you. Is faith in Christ as a means to heaven optional? Why not? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you know what, folks? You've just been talking about the doctrine of Christ. Now, does doctrine matter? Do you begin to grasp what he's saying here? He's saying, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. He's saying, look, folks, your life is based on doctrine. He says here, it's good that the heart be established or strengthened or gain confidence by grace, not with foods. So he's saying very clearly, your life is based on some doctrine. Now, you might be here today and not be a believer in Christ. You might have a different doctrine you have based your life on. In America, that's your privilege. That is your right. That is why we have soldiers in Iraq and around the world defending our freedom. You have that right. But that does not mean that your doctrine is valid. You have the right in this country to believe it. But that does not mean that it is true. God says your life is based on some kind of doctrine. That is the function. The function of doctrine is to provide truth from which we choose behaviors. 
Now let's continue on with our illustration of the doctrine of Christ. If we understand that Jesus clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, what should be the behavior that comes from that doctrine? Simple. What should you do? What? Believe. That's right. You believe because of the truth. The truth is the basis for your action. He uses, the way he summarizes that is in the word established or strengthened. We might even think of it as, as being nourished. What is it that nourishes your heart? What is it that informs your heart, that teaches your heart? Something is establishing you, your heart. Now, what's the problem that he is addressing in this verse? The problem is this. Not everything that looks nutritious is. The diet that I read is obviously a, a tremendous satire. And if any of you are confused at all, don't take any of it seriously except the part about breakfast. There are things that look good but are not. Look what he says here. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it's good that the heart be established. I'm going to put a word in there. Only by grace. Not by other things. The thing that we understand here fundamentally is this, folks. There is good doctrine and there is bad doctrine. Now, one of the things that's become very popular in our contemporary society is that it's, it's uh, almost considered rude or mean or unloving to tell somebody they're wrong. Uh, you're wrong. Uh, that church here or there is wrong. Now, I realize, I realize that there are churches that are slightly different than us, and we're not, we're not fussing with them. Because some of the slight differences aren't worth us arguing about. But there is some tremendous, tremendous bad doctrine in the world. And we need to recognize that, and we need to be willing to stand up and say, hey, it's wrong. I mean, the ultimate wrong doctrine is to say that faith in Christ is an optional path to heaven. Are, are the folks who sincerely believe in Allah going to make it to heaven? No. And you know what? It's not because they're terrorists. And it's not because they're Arab, it's because their doctrine is wrong. There are some fine Arabic Christians in the world. I, I don't personally know any of them, but I know of them. But there is right doctrine and wrong doctrine. And we need to understand that. In 2 Peter 2.1, now think, go, go back 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years in your mind, to the first century of the church and God is inspiring his word and part of what he tells Peter to write down in 2 Peter 2.1 is there will be false teachers among you. Did you get that? We're not just talking about the church somewhere out there that's teaching heresy. We're talking about within the, the confines of what is called Christian, there will be false teachers. And again, you say, well, don't make, I don't make such a big deal about doctrine. The big deal is coming in a minute, folks, because it's what nourishes your soul. What does that mean to me, that there's going to be false teachers in the church? It means I can't believe that everything that has the word Christian on it is necessarily Christian. When I go to the Christian bookstore, as sincere as those folks are at selling all of those books, I need to be careful. <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff there, and there's a lot of mediocre stuff, and from time to time there's some real bad stuff. Matthew 7:15, in Jesus' first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false prophets, because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. 
This is in the, in the broad defines of what's called Christian. I wish, I wish we didn't have to talk like this, and I wish we didn't have to be on our guard. But you know what's at stake? What's at stake is the nourishment of your soul. And the thing we need to understand about bad doctrine, continuing on, is this. Bad doctrine can look really spiritual. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. And verse 13. The Apostle Paul is warning the Corinthians and he says, for such, he's been describing some people and he says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of Light. You've probably read something in a magazine or a newspaper sometime or other about the church of Satan. If you're really up on things, you know that at one time, I don't know if he's still there, there was a person who was an officer in the army who was a psychologist with the army, not a chaplain. But in his civilian life, he was a high priest with the church of Satan. Okay, That's shocking, that's disgusting, that's nothing we want. But you know what? If... Satan is in that. He's not in it much. You know what he's in? Things that look really good. Really good. But they're just about two bubbles off level. I'll give you an example of one from a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember the name of the denomination, so I won't try to. But a, one of the mainline denominations in this country had a motion put forward in which they were going to say homosexual marriage is okay. It, it, it aligns up with God's truth. And at the last, yeah, yeah. There should be a little bit of a no, uh, no, excuse me, going on right now. And then at the last minute, they withdrew the motion and they said, no, we're going to put that aside for two years while we study whether or not homosexual marriage squares up with the Bible. Do you need to study that for two years? Even if you don't know your Bible too long, you could read the whole Bible in about, I think, 60 hours is the time for a good reader, and you'd come across that truth in 60 hours. Now, folks, we love homosexual people because they are people that the Lord can save and change. Don't get me wrong. And I welcome them to our church. If you're struggling with your sexual orientation today, you are welcome here because God has the truth that will nourish your soul. But if we stand up and say, you just keep right on in your sin, your soul is not going to be nourished. And that is Satan working as an angel of light. What's the light in that, you say? Oh, the light is, we've got to treat everybody equal, and everybody has their rights, and we don't want to be mean to anybody, and who am I to judge, and on and on. And it looks like a wonderful application of the civil rights of our country, and maybe it even is by, by legal definition, but it is not godly and it is not helpful to that individual. But it looks good. There's all kinds of things in the religious world that look very good. But we've got to be careful because bad doctrine can look really spiritual. In commenting on Hebrews 13.9, John MacArthur wrote this, One of the marks of small children is a lack of discernment. They have no way of telling what is good or bad. They judge only by feeling and whim. If something looks attractive, they may try to pick it up, even if it were a poisonous snake. If something looks remotely like food, they try to eat it. 
A child of three left to select his own diet would never live to four. He would either sweeten or poison himself to death. Some Christians, unfortunately, show little more discernment than this in the spiritual realm. They have been so little exposed to sound doctrine or so long removed from it that they judge entirely by appearance and feeling. Bad doctrine can look really, really good. When I was a student at Western Baptist Bible College back in the day, our food service was less than desirable. Yeah, can I get a witness there, brother? Yeah. And one day I'm going through the line, and I come along and I think, Lord, have mercy, there's protein on the menu today. And it was, it was like Swiss steak cooked in gravy and mashed potatoes. And I'm going, yes, and I scooped it up, you know. I got to my table and I started to cut it and I thought, this feels kind of odd. It was liver and onions <laughs> and gravy. Looks can be deceiving. If you're going to be a godly Christian who honors the Lord and whose soul gets built, strengthened, becomes confident, it's only going to be by right doctrine, good doctrine. There are folks out there in white coats who will try to convince you of some things being true, but they aren't. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. What is the practical impact? What is the, the, the command in this verse? The practical impact is this. You must be a picky eater. You need to be a picky eater. Number one, why? Because man-made doctrine will not nourish your soul. Turn with me to Galatians 3. We want to think of the problem that was here that he was addressing from the Hebrews. That same particular problem is addressed a number of times in the New Testament. One of them is, is in Galatians chapter 3. And this particular problem will help us to see the broader scope as well. Galatians 3, verse 1. <clears throat> o foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Now stop right there, folks. He isn't writing to a bunch of unbelievers. He's writing to the church in Galatia. And he's saying, you have stopped obeying the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In Galatians 3, he compares, excuse me, in Hebrews 13, he's comparing being nourished by grace with rules about faith. Foods. You say, no, what's the rules about foods? Well, it's a reference to the Old Testament ritual law of worship. And there were all kinds of ritual law. By some count, there were over 600 commands in the Old Testament. Some of it had to do with what they ate. Some of it had to do with sacrifices. All kinds of ritual rules. And in Galatians 3, he's putting it this way. He calls it the works of the law. Now, make no mistake, I want to be clear here. During the Old Testament era, did God want them to follow the ritual law? Absolutely. Did they get saved by following the ritual law? Well, you have to think about that, don't you? No, they did not. What did, they get, what did Abraham get saved by? Abraham did what? Believed. Believed, and it was accounted to him by faith. And then out of his belief in God, he did some works. In, in fact, Abraham was the first one to start circumcision. And then we go along farther, and folks were believers, so they kept the law. God clearly wanted them to keep the law. But when Jesus Christ came, that ended. Let's look at Galatians 2, verse 11. 
Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. This is Paul talking. Can you imagine that picture right there? Paul comes walking into the church. And here's Peter. Hey, buddy, there's a problem. I withstood him to the face, it says. Because he was wrong. Did you see that? Here's two apostles. He was to be blamed. Peter needed a good rebuking. Why? For, because before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. He would fellowship with the Gentiles, as we would say today. But when those certain men came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Now that's a code word right there, folks, circumcision in the New Testament. It refers to people who believe in taking the Old Testament law and putting it together with faith in Christ so that they follow all the law and believe in Christ. So when this group of circumcision believers came along, Peter withdrew and said, Oh, I'm a Jew. I've got to only hang with these guys. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews in the church of Galatia also played the hypocrite with him. Could I just stop right there? Do you know what, what that verse teaches you? It teaches you you should be watching your Bible and there might be some time when you have to rebuke your leaders. See, those folks, if they knew what was wrong, they didn't say anything. Oh, I don't want to make waves. Hey, if you're making biblical waves, make them. If you're making some fussing around waves, don't bother. Because there'd be somebody else in your face. But if you're making biblical waves, make them. The rest played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away. Barnabas is the one who reached out to Paul. Wow. Verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live like Jews or to follow the Old Testament law? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law or saved by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to, to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for... If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. The problem being addressed here and in Hebrews 13 is this. There were folks who wanted to mix the Old Testament ritual law with New Testament faith in Christ. And their contention was this. You must follow the external rules of righteousness from the Old Testament if you would become a godly Christian. In commenting on this, John MacArthur said this, Christ has rendered all external observance invalid and useless. And he quotes Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, That quote might mislead you. Has, is there no external work you're supposed to do for the Lord? No, there are some things you are supposed to physically do for the Lord. There's one. Okay, uh, Giving, uh, living righteously, all those things. But is it based on a doctrine of works or is it based on a doctrine of grace? We're going to see that grace in just a minute as we continue on. 
Man-made doctrine will not nourish your soul. I take a lot of heat for being well-known at McDonald's here in Ferndale. But I want you to know that when Jeff Hudgen walks into Chihuahuas, they bring him a beverage and hand it to him when he walks in the door. And when he takes his family there to eat, they bring them free dessert at the end of every meal. Oh, yes, they know how to treat their very best customers. You can clarify the beverage later. I don't care. <laughs> I'm sure it's a soft drink. Got bad news for you, Jeff, if you don't read the paper. A month ago, Chihuahuas produced some E. coli. Yes. <laughs> now, I don't want to scare you off from going to Chihuahuas. I don't want to be guilty of that because they have fixed the problem. But they bought some bad cheese. They didn't know it was bad cheese. They thought it was just like all the other cheese they bought, and they served it, and some folks got E. coli from it. A couple, a couple of folks got E. coli from it. They didn't know the difference. Patrons didn't know the difference. Folks, you need to be able to smell spiritual bad cheese. Because if you don't, it's going to make you sick. See, doctrine matters because your soul is going to be built on whatever you take in and whatever you believe. And either that doctrine is going to build you up in Christ or it is going to take you away from Christ. There isn't a third category of like neutral stuff. Man-made doctrine will not nourish your soul. Only the grace of God will nourish your soul. Let's turn back to Hebrews 13 and read that verse again, and then move on to 2 Peter, which is just a few pages away from Hebrews 13. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it's good that the heart be established by what? By grace. Not with foods which have not profited. See, he talks about these Old Testament laws and, and you know, the, using food as an example of the Old Testament ritual law. And he says, it did not profit them. He says, what you should be occupied with, what you should be established on is grace. So turn with me now to 2 Peter chapter 1 and let's find out what should be nourishing our soul. 2 Peter 1. I don't know about you, but when I think about my soul being nourished by grace, it's a little fuzzy to me. We see the word grace a lot in the scripture. We know it's all about a free gift. Look at 2 Peter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, he's writing to Christians, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, how? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Do you want your soul to be nourished, to be strengthened, to become confident in a genuine and real and God-honoring way? Well, that is through the grace of Christ and the knowledge of God. There is an important implication of grace, and that is this. It is a free gift. You see, the real problem with following the Old Testament ritual law, once Christ came and put an end to it, the problem is this. These folks were trying to earn or deserve God's favor and blessing. They were putting their their faith for their growth and for the things they needed in their life with the accomplishment of a physical ritual. Now, we don't have a whole lot of that same religious mentality today, but we certainly do have other folks carrying it out. And here's the point where I stick my neck out, and the last time I did this, somebody came by and said, I'll never come to your church again. What is the Mormon church about? It is about, yes, Joyce could tell us because she's been there. Daly could tell us. Where are you at, Daly? He's up there. He was raised in it. 
It's about charitable deeds and temple rituals. It's about earning favor to become a god. That's exactly what he says here. He said, look, that will not nourish your soul. I, I guess I could ask you, did that nourish your soul? Did that make you strong and feel good, Joyce? Finally learned the truth. Do you mean do you mean that Satan was masquerading as an angel of light? <laughs> Daily Bright is one of my heroes. He got asked to leave the Mormon church because he asked too many questions about Jesus and about right doctrine. <laughs> yeah. That's really extraordinary. Okay. Hey, external works will not nourish your soul. They might make you feel good for a little while, but they won't nourish your soul. Man-made religion is always based on demonstrating goodness to God or on earning God's favor with some religious or humanitarian works. One of the religions that really straddles the fence between truth and error is the Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists seem to teach very strongly that you must believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and at the same time, they will teach you that if you really are godly, you will follow the Old Testament dietary laws. In fact, you will do better than follow the dietary laws. You will become a vegetarian. Okay? Now, to me, they fit right in the category of Galatians chapter 3. Now, is there anything wrong with being a vegetarian? No. Go on. Miss the blessing of solid food in your mouth. <laughs> Hey, more power to you. It worked for Daniel. But do you think you are going to earn God's favor by changing your diet? No. Not unless you have been obsessive with food or, you know, uh, you know misused it in some spiritual fashion. And that is possible. Another great church that is built on worship rituals that are not commanded by God is the Roman Catholic Church. Now again, in mentioning all these churches, uh, are there some true Christians in all these churches? Probably so. Okay. But is the doctrine they teach good doctrine that will nourish your soul and strengthen you so that you become like Christ and you are transformed day by day from glory to glory. No, it won't. Because there has been too much error mixed with the truth. Look at, look at 2 Peter again. He says, grace and peace will come to you through the knowledge of God. Verse 2, verse 3, through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You do not need to go outside of the Bible to know how to live your life. You don't need the Book of Mormon. You don't need the traditions of the fathers. You don't need uh, science and health with the key to Scripture. You don't need the, the, uh, the, the uh, health message of the Seventh-day Adventists. You don't need any of that. If it's not here, you don't need it. Godliness, he's, gonna, he's given us all things that pertain to godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you might be partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Turn to the end of this book, 2 Peter 3.18. In 2 Peter, he is warning about false teaching, and he, and he merges over to talk about false teaching at the end times, he talks about the future and what's ahead. And here's the moral of the story. 2 Peter 3.18 But you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory. Grace is a free gift. God freely gives us all that we need through His Word. External rituals do not create godliness. Now, there are 
issues of obedience that are visible and we should, this is one of them, and certainly all of the things he commands us to do, but it starts with our knowledge and our truth in him. J. Vernon McGee comments on Hebrews 13 this way, Do not go off into these strange cults and teachings in which diet and ceremonies and rituals are supposed to make you a super-duper saint. Yeah, I can't hear him saying that, a super-duper saint. Nothing in the world is going to build you up but the Word of God. The Word of God will build you up if it brings you to the person of Christ, and only the Holy Spirit can take the things of Christ and make them real unto you. I was very upset by something I read in a magazine this week. A fellow named Morgan Spurlock made a movie based on eating at McDonald's. It's a documentary, a docudrama, whatever it is, kind of half true and half fake, I don't know. After describing, I'm reading a quote from the magazine, after describing America's growing obesity problem, Mr. Spurlock takes McDonald's as a symbol of the cheap, unhealthy, heavily marketed food eaten by most Americans. He commits himself to eating for 30 days nothing but McDonald's food. He tries everything on the menu at least once and supersizes his meals when asked to do so at the counter. The results surprise even the team of doctors he assembled to track his progress. In 30 days, Mr. Spurlock gained 25 pounds, raised his cholesterol, became pro prone to dramatic mood swings and lost his sex drive. The huge increase in fat intake also, as mentioned, began to pickle his liver, producing the same results as a month of binge drinking. Well, anyone knows you can't eat a straight diet of McDonald's food. In order to have a balanced diet, you've got to rotate between McDonald's, Dairy Queen, Wendy's, and Taco Bell. <laughs> Kind of an idiot, is he? <laughs> Use your kidneys, man. <laughs> hey, we all know that our diet is a critical factor in our long-term health. It does have an impact. We know that. But what I want you to understand today is your spiritual diet is more critically important. What are you feeding your soul? Do you just grab anything in print? Anything with the word Christian on it? Is God's word both what's going into your mind and what is filtering the things you are seeing and hearing and reading? God is telling us in Hebrews 13.9 that if we stay on a strict spiritual diet of his truth, we will be strong and stable. What a tremendous blessing that is. Could I even challenge you to turn that last sentence around? And if you come to a point in your life where you are unstable, where you are weak, that maybe that's God calling to you saying, you need to eat. You need to eat. You need to eat the truth. If you really want to apply this message today, I would challenge you to memorize 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I discovered that verse shortly after I really got right with God, and it really fueled my direction in life. So that's what God wants me to do. Number two, evaluate your input quotient. How much of your reading, listening, and watching is God's truth compared to your entire daily input? Determined to increase your godly input. A place you could start would be the Gospel of Mark. Read about the Savior. Be nourished on His grace. Heavenly Father, thank you that your truth nourishes us. It strengthens us. Father, I pray that your truth has come through my effort to teach it today. And I pray that you will help us to embrace what is true and right and good and courageously shun what is not good for us. Father, build our souls as we feed on your word. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Let's take our hymn book, please, and turn to number 395.
Teen. Last Sunday, while we were on vacation, we had, we had a great time, by the way. We, last weekend, we were able to get together with all three of our kids and my son's wife also in one place at one time. That's the first time that's happened in a year and a half. So uh, we had a great time of fellowship together and went to our previous church in Tuckwilla, the South Center Community Baptist Church, and had a wonderful sermon from their new preacher. Just blessed my soul. Here's what I learned. Right here. It's the realistic miracle diet. For breakfast, you have a half a grapefruit, one slice of whole wheat toast, eight ounces of low-fat or skim milk. For lunch, you have four ounces of lean broiled chicken breast, one cup of steamed spinach, one cup of herbal tea, one Oreo cookie. For the mid-afternoon snack, you have the rest of the Oreo cookies in the package, two pints of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, one jar of fudge sauce, nuts, cherries, and whipped cream. Can I get a witness? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> For dinner, two large Two loaves of garlic bread with cheese, of garlic bread with cheese, large sausage and cheese pizza, four cans or one large pitcher of diet soda, three Milky Way candy bars. For your late evening news snack, an entire Sara Lee cheesecake eaten directly from the freezer. Now, you're probably thinking, now how does this diet work? This is the wonderful thing that I learned. Rules for the diet. If you eat something and no one sees you eat it, it has no calories. <laughs> if you drink diet soda with candy bars, the calories in the candy bar are canceled out by the diet soda. <laughs> yeah. When you eat with someone else, calories don't count as long as you don't eat more than they do. Food used for medicinal purposes never counts such as hot chocolate, toast, and Sara Lee cheesecake. If you fatten up the people around you, then you look thinner. <laughs> we have cake right over there. I'm not having any. <laughs> Movie or event-related foods do not have additional calories because they are part of the entire entertainment package and are not part of one's personal intake. Examples are milk duds, buttered popcorn, junior mints, etc. Cookie pieces contain no calories. The process of breaking cookies causes caloric leakage. <laughs> 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 Things licked off knives and spoons have no calories or if you are in the process of preparing something. Examples are peanut butter on a knife while making a sandwich or ice cream on a spoon while making a sundae. Foods that have the same color have the same number of calories. For instance, spinach, spinach and pistachio ice cream. Or cauliflower and whipped cream. And then the final note is this, chocolate is a universal substitute and may be used in place of any other food. That is the realistic miracle diet. We all know that a balanced diet is uh, probably more important than we make it on a regular basis. What we're going to find out here in Hebrews 13 today is that your spiritual diet is critically important. What you take in to nourish your soul is very important. And you can't just take things in willy-nilly or with some strange rules that aren't from God's word. Hebrews 13, 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. 
Now, it might sound strange to you to see God talking about grace and then comparing it to food. You'll understand as we go through. The first principle that is here is this. Your life is based on some kind of doctrine. So we need to ask the question, first of all, what is doctrine? This word refers to content or a topic in teaching, if you will. It could be translated teaching. It's also the same root word that we get our word disciple from or learner. It could be referring to the learner or the teacher. But sometimes when we use the word teaching, the concept that comes to our mind is the process. Here's a man standing here speaking words. There is teaching going on. That's not what this word is about. This word is about the content of the teaching. Many people in the contemporary church world shy away from doctrine. They say things like, leave the doctrine alone, just teach the Bible. Uh, they may not be aware of it, but that is an impossibility. One of the things we need to understand is that God himself uses the word. And in fact, Jesus puts it this way in John 7, 16. My doctrine or my teaching is not mine, but from him who sent me. In 2 John verse 9, we read these challenging words. Whoever does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Well, all of a sudden, doctrine becomes very important. There are some folks who rightly assess the fact that doctrine is what divides Christians. That's right. Because from God's word, there can only be one truth not multiple truths that conflict with each other. There is a doctrine of Christ. There is a doctrine of God, and so on and so forth. The Bible is full of doctrinal truth. Now, God also saw fit in the Bible to teach us with other forms of communication. For instance, one of the other chief forms that he uses is what we'd call narrative 